Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 26 of the Tax Security Podcast, where we talk about all things Cisco security, including device configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues being seen by the Technical Assistance Center security team. So last episode, we talked about GetVPN and DMVPN, and we talked about some high-level fundamental stuff. We talked about uh, the circle of uh, encryption on GetVPN. You can check out the show notes uh, for that if you need um, further explanation and listen to the episode. But today we're going to be talking about uh, troubleshooting IPsec. What does it take to actually get the tunnels up between an ASA and a router um, or two routers or two ASAs? And we're going to be focusing on some of the fundamentals to understanding the best way to troubleshoot that. And for help with this episode, we've got our two VPN experts. We'll start with Wen Zhang. How are you doing, Wen? Good, good. Excellent. And JYT, Jay Young Taylor, how's it going? Uh, quite well, thank you. All right. And besides these two guys, we've got the regular podcast team, David White. Say hello, David. Hello. We've got Blaine Dreyer down in Texas. How's it going, Blaine? Howdy. Howdy, yes. You should definitely <laughs> start adopting a Texas accent if you can. And uh, we've also got Magnus Mortensen. How's it going, Magnus? Things are going quite good. Thanks, Jay. So when we talk about um, IPsec VPNs, um, land-to-land tunnels uh, specifically, let's let's start there. Uh, and we talk about troubleshooting those. I mean, land-to-land tunnels are pretty ubiquitous. You're going to encounter them on the CCIE security exam, right? Um, uh, a lot of us have set them up in our careers just to extend corporate network connections between uh, two offices over the Internet, right? Um, it's a fairly ubiquitous technology, and understanding how to troubleshoot these uh, tunnels when they don't come up is important, and um, I think that's what we're hoping to get across in today's episode. Yeah, I think uh, also last episode we talked about various types of VPN deployments and why you would use one over the other. So if you didn't get a chance, check out episode number 25. Uh, it might be a good introduction before listening to this episode. So VPN guys, um, you've been working in the TAC for a long time now. You've gotten lots of lot, lots of land land tunnels up that were failing, lots of P1 hot network issues where land land tunnels went down or wouldn't come up. So after all, with all your experience in this in this area, tell our listeners what it is, what it takes to get into the mindset to be able to bring these tunnels up and get them working. Uh, so first thing is to uh, actually have a good problem description. Uh, almost all VPN problems, you know, they boil down to a data plane. I can't pass traffic. My application is not working over the tunnel. Now, whether that really is a tunnel problem or not, I mean, that requires narrowing the problem down to a specific component. And hopefully that's what we're going to get into, you know, from point A to point Z, how we can identify some checkpoints along the way so that you can figure out if this is an underlying infrastructure problem, if this is a control problem, a control plane problem, data plane problem, or whatnot. Yeah, I think when the TAC cases come into the TAC, they're titled, and, and sometimes the only description is, tunnel won't come up, or pass it. Uh, traffic won't pass across tunnel, and you know obviously we've got to dig in deeper to find out what's going on there. So let's talk about the first stage of this. You know, to build this point A to point Z mapping of where all these things happen in the checkpoint of getting traffic up. What, what where do we start? So one of the methods that I use is I think of a timeline of exactly where we are and where we want to be. So I, I imagine I just take a piece of paper and I draw a big horizontal line with an arrow pointing over to the right-hand side. And the way I think it, the way we troubleshoot is we start at the beginning of the line and we go along and we do different messages and phases and interactions. And then when we get all the way to the right-hand side, the tunnel is up and everything's working fine. 
Now, the question is, what lays in between the beginning of the line and the end of the line? Well, the best thing to do is to try and focus on the protocol rather than the product. Right, so it doesn't matter if it's an iOS router or an ASA uh, or a third party like a checkpoint or a sonic wall or something like that. We just focus on where along that line is the protocol at and what's the next message that we expect. Yeah, and so I guess in theory, if you know the protocol, you know what you you know how to get the information from the device to show you where you're at in the timeline or the, the sequence of events to take the tunnel up. You could troubleshoot a problem on a checkpoint firewall if you even if you're not familiar with it, right? Because you know what it should do. Yes, we, we've seen many, many cases of interoperability. Uh, they call up Cisco and say, my tunnel with this FortiGate firewall is not working or something along the line. So we say, okay, well, we don't need access from the other side. Let's take a look at the debugs on our side and just because we know what should happen next and who is responsible for what, we can actually derive what logic that other side should be taking and, and uh, what messages we should see coming back from them. And typically for uh, VPN-related problems, uh, we'd like to you know, categorize these problems into you know, the, either a control plane problem, which means you can't even get a tunnel to come up. Uh, and that goes back to the concept of a tunnel. What is a tunnel, right? We all know a tunnel enables encryption between a pair of uh, devices, uh, but technically a tunnel is a set of security policies um, and uh, uh, settings that's negotiated and agreed upon by a, a pair of uh, IPsec endpoints. So there are some simple things that we can check, you know, to make sure control plane is up. You know, we have what we call the security associations on both uh, both sides. And from that point on, uh, we can look at a data plane problem, which is we have the tunnel, but for some reason we can't seem to pass traffic back and forth. Um, so, so that's a, a natural DMARC point, um, you know, to kind of break it down to either the forwarding plane or the control plane. So I guess we're going to start at the control plane. We've got to get the two IPsec endpoints to agree on their security associations and, and come up and build this tunnel. So, uh, where do we start? So, there's two types of, with ISACAMP, there's two types of modes that could happen. There could be what's called main mode or aggressive mode. But, in essence, right, the, the side that's initiating the tunnel will have to send a UDP 500 packet to the remote side. Um, the contents is approximately the same in both of those. It's basically saying these are the encryption and hashing algorithms I can accept. Uh, this is the Diffie-Hellman information. And please respond and tell me what we can work with here. And uh, uh, some interesting facts about uh, main mode and aggressive mode that would really help uh, understanding the, uh, the data plane flow is that for main mode, uh, you're talking. You're typically talking about six packet exchange. Um, the initiator would send three. Responder would respond with three. That's a total of six. And uh, uh, interesting uh, tidbit that uh, you know our listeners may or may not be aware of is if there is a NAT device in the middle, um, the ICAMP exchange actually transitions from UDP port 500 to 4500 for packet five and six. So as when said. Um when we transition in main mode, we transition on the, fourth, uh, the fifth and the sixth packet. Uh, with aggressive mode, we transition 
after the second packet, so in, in aggressive mode message three. So just taking a step back for our listeners, um, you know, we're talking about IPsec tunnels here. And so with IPsec, there's actually, you know, two main components. There's ISACAMP, which is a control plane, and then there's IPsec, which is where the data plane or the data packets happens. And before you can establish the IPsec tunnel, you have to have the ISACAMP tunnel up. And that's where they exchange parameters and encryption techniques and stuff like that. And that is a bidirectional tunnel communicated between the two peers. Once that's complete, then the IPsec tunnels come up, which are unidirectional. And that's where we actually encrypt the transient data packets that are going between devices um, for that security between the two devices. Okay, so let's say that uh, we want to verify, let's say our tunnel is not working. We want to verify that this first ISACAMP stage has completed, that we have this initial command and control session up, this data pl uh, control plane session up between the two endpoints. R right, and that's the first step. You know, if, if the tunnel doesn't work, then always start at yeah, step start one, at one, which is, is the ISACAMP tunnel up? Because IPsec tunnel will never come up without ISACAMP. Yep. Got to get to phase, so for phase one. So, so we check whether the ISACAMP tunnel is up first. So on iOS routers, you can do the show crypto isocamp essay command, and that will show you the status of the isocamp tunnel, which is the first tunnel that must come up. And it's a unidirectional tunnel. That output will show you the IP address of the peer that the isocamp tunnel is established with, along with the state of that tunnel. And what you want to see in that column is QM idle, which means the tunnel is up and fully operational. So if you see that, you can move on to the next you know, order of operations checkpoint for getting your tunnel working. But what do you do, guys, if it doesn't say QM idle? What are some other things it might say, and what do you do about that? So there's uh, various different states. Uh, as we talked about, there's six different packets, so you might see six different messages. Um, it, the messages you'll see there, or the statuses, will depend on whether you're the initiator of the tunnel or you're the responder of the tunnel. Um, you might see something like MM wait 4 which would mean we've sent main mode message three and we're expecting main mode message four back. Or you might see something like um, mm underscore key underscore exchange. That could mean that we're going through authentication but the pre-shared keys don't match or we've transitioned to the NAT T and we're not getting the fifth or sixth packet. And another common one would be MM essay setup. So we're in the initial phase of the setup. We're not proceeding further. So those are all messages indicating something had gone wrong, that we're not getting to the final uh, Ike essay that we're supposed to have. Uh, and this would be a good place to enable some of the ICAMP debugs on either a router or a ASA. Now, uh, just want to mention that that show crypto isocamp sa command that we're referring to also applies to the asa platform now um when for example besides just looking at that output you know what are some things that we can look at um if the show crypto isacamp sa output doesn't show the expected output when a tunnel is working uh, naturally the next step is to enable some debugs to see exactly what's going on uh, lucky for us both the asa and ios uh, you know, these debugs are fairly uh, accurate in terms of telling us, you know, exactly the state transitions, you know, what had gone wrong, you know, what uh, state machine changes had occurred. So we should be able to tell uh, the six packet exchange in, in the case of a main mode exchange. Um, 
and, and be able to figure out where, where exactly things had gone wrong. And I, I'd like to say, too, is that, you know, when looking at the show Crypto Asset Camp essay output, if it doesn't say QMI on, you know the tunnel's not there. The next most logical step is make sure you don't have one-way communication, meaning the packet, the ISACAMP packet, is blocked in one direction. In that case, you'll see um, QM1 or QM2, or you won't see it appear on the peer. Um, so, you know, that would be the, you know, the most common things are unidirectional because an ACL or something is blocking it in a unidirectional way. Um, you know, if you get past that and get, you know, to further packet exchanges, then the most likely cause is more of a configuration issue. And what are the most common, I guess we should talk about, what are the most common configuration type problems that we see um, where ISACAMP doesn't complete properly? Uh, the most common one, or one of the most common one would be a pre-sure key mismatch. So we proceed with the main mode exchange and uh, when uh, in main mode five and six, if the pre-share keys don't uh, don't match on the peers, then you typically get an error message in the syslog uh, saying, Jay, what was the? Oh, it's saying uh, packet failed uh, sanity check, it's malformed. Yeah, it's, it's not 100% intuitive. It doesn't tell you right off the bat. You know, I, there's I thought a we actually mismatch. changed that on the ASA that it actually on tells on you pre-share keys mismatch. Yeah, uh, it says, on the ASA, yes, it says, uh, potentially. And it, it's like it's got a mismatch. question mark. It's like, pre-share key mismatch question mark? Mm -hmm. So we can't be 100% sure, but that's most likely cause. And that was changed actually a couple of years ago. It used to be more cryptic like iOS. Mm -hmm. And obviously in that kind of situation, best course of remedy, just re-enter your pre-shared keys. On both sides. On both sides, yeah. Pre-share yeah. keys. Um, and, and, and don't copy and paste. When you copy and paste, yeah. uh, if you're going to do that, copy and paste into a plain text file, because a lot of times additional hidden characters get included, like the extra space or some extra hidden unprintable character, and that causes the keys to miss. We probably had hundreds of TAC cases just because of extra spaces yeah. in the in the, the password. Mm -hmm. Another common scenario that we see lots of cases is the both sides don't negotiate on the same um, encipherment suites and hashing algorithms. So you just want to check the configuration on both sides that they have a matching um, ISACAMP policy, that all the attributes under the ISACAMP policy are indeed the same. And uh, David mentioned that you want to make sure you don't have unidirectional communication, but you know we can always go back to our good friend, the packet capture on uh, ASA and also embedded packet capture on iOS just to verify that, that, that those packets are being seen, sent, and received on both sides of the tunnel. So. That's one of the other places you can start. Yep. So if you're taking a quick look at all the things that we just talked about there, and, and they still seem to be aligned, then it's probably about time to you know turn on some debugs and go a bit more in depth into this. Luckily, the ASA already has the protocol flow documented out in the syslogs. So if you're running the syslog at debugging level, level seven, um, you'll actually see most of this protocol exchange and flow documented uh, and just showing out saying we've received this from this peer, we've received this from this peer, we're sending this off here. So it's very easy just to you know turn the logging buffer for the, the local buffer up to the high and then try to kick off the VPN and just do a show log and you can actually see the exchange flying by. And I guess it's important to note that 
you're usually debugging a VPN problem to a specific peer. So you may have lots and lots of syslogs going by very quickly. Make sure you turn up the size of your local syslog buffer and also do show log pipe include and then put the peer IP address and that'll filter out just uh, syslog messages that have to do with the peer IP you're trying to get the tunnel up to. So that's important. And something related, uh, it's absolutely crucial when it comes to troubleshooting VPN problems to make sure the timestamps sync up uh, and on the ASA enable timestamping for syslogging so that we can match up the events uh, happening on both peers to see you know what's going on you know from both peers perspective and I would say that you know it's like also if there's multiple peers you probably want to enable crypto conditional debug so that you debugging filters just on the peer information and that's capability exists both in iOS and on the ASA as well and those allow you to match on things like uh, well, all the different parts of the SA, right? So the peer IP address, uh, connection ID, uh, security parameter index or SPI. Um, and I mean, if you don't see syslogs or the debugs that you're expecting for a particular SA, you kind of have to take a step back and, and roll back to what we were talking about before where particular ports or protocols may not be allowed. Um, like Win said, which I like a lot, from point A to point Z and all the steps in between. And also, you got to make sure that, you know, this crypto process, this ISACAMP process is getting kicked off in the first place. I, I was trying to set up a land land tunnel in the lab a couple days ago, and my tunnel wouldn't come up. And I figured out that my crypto ACL that was defining my interesting traffic to go over the tunnel was just flat out wrong. So if you don't see any debugs on your router or ASA, you don't see any syslogs, you see nothing, no UDP port 500 packet coming out to establish ISACAMP, check to make sure that your routing table entries are correct, that you're routing the traffic uh, to the correct interface, the crypto map is applied to the interface, and uh, that you're going to send that traffic over the tunnel and it's going to match your crypto ACLs. Yeah, in all honesty, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of fat fingering that can go on it, um, when configuring these crypto maps between the two peers. Um, I remember studying that I definitely had my fair share of that, and finding those little errors uh, can really help you out in the long run. But that's another reason that uh, your phases may not complete is that you've just fat fingered the peer IPs. And we talked a lot so far about ISACAMP, right, the, the first tunnel that comes up. You know, the same uh, troubleshooting methodology and very similar commands exist for the IPsec portion of the tunnel as well. So we talked about the iOS and ASA of show crypto ISACAMP or ISA CAMP space SA. They also have show crypto IPsec space SA. And again, it's very analogous to the ISACAMP. Once ISACAMP is up, you see QMIDL, you go and issue show crypto IPsec SA to see the status of your IPsec tunnels, plural, because there should be two, two unidirectional tunnels indicating that you're encrypting traffic in both directions. So what you should see there is you should see a status of the type of traffic that you want to encrypt. So you should see an entry saying, we want to encrypt from this subnet to this subnet. We want to see it from this peer to this peer. And we should also see uh, what's called the SPI, the Security Parameter Index. That is the negotiated um, security association. As long as we see that in there, and it's going to it's going to be a, a, a stanza of text, right? And it's going to have a big cryptic number that says zero x, and then and five or six eight character long value. Uh, once we see that, we know that hey, good. The, the essays have been negotiated and we've installed them correct. And another piece of uh, important information is that uh, in the show crypto IPsec essay output, you get these very detailed counters that explains 
uh, the number of packets encrypted, number of packets decrypted, uh, and also you know packet that may have encountered an error condition either in the encryption or decryption path. So that would give you some hint. Uh, if some things were not working correctly, you know, take a look at those error counters and, and see, you know, which one uh, those packets fall into, and then troubleshoot from there. Yes, we've seen many times where we look at the SA and we see lots of encrypts or encapsulations, but we see zero decapsulations. So that gives us good information that okay, we negotiated the IPsec SA with our peer we are encrypting data and we're trying to send it off to the remote end but we're not hearing anything back and the easiest thing i like to do is again use a show crypto ipsec sa command but then pipe that to include encrypt pipe decrypt with no spaces around that and that'll just show you the um encaps and decaps or encrypts and decrypts lines from that output and then send say a thousand pings um, to the peer and verify whether you're getting a thousand encrypts on your end, whether the peer gets a thousand decrypts on its end, whether you see a thousand encrypts on the peer's end, and a thousand decrypts on your end. So you may have a question, you know, why do we have to do a thousand? You yep. know, can we not just do a hundred? Well, uh, chances are you're looking at this because uh, things are not working, right? So when you ping with a, a thousand packet, uh, if each ping takes two seconds to time out, you know, you're talking a long time, you know, for that ping to time out. Um, one technique that we often use to isolate uh, the test traffic that we want to uh, use uh, from you know any potential background traffic is to send a large amount of ping, say for example a thousand count, uh, with a timeout zero. And on a iOS router, you know those pings can go by very quickly. Then you can check your counters, you know, to see. Uh, you know, if you register all 1,000 packets at a different places. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, on the ASA, um, the timeout, the minimum timeout you can set on the packet that will work is actually one second. Um, but we just modified that, and that co code's getting committed so that it'll behave like iOS, where we can use a timeout of zero, and it'll send the packet without waiting for a response. So tell us about, uh, there's another feature on the ASA, TCP ping, and you can use that to... Um, simulate traffic from a client on the inside. So Dave, tell us how that works and you can use TCP to bring up a tunnel. Sure, so with TCP ping, um, actually the the reason it was created was to kind of help with troubleshooting NAT scenarios. Um, but it's applicable here as well. Um, so what we did was a lot of times people are trying to figure out you know, whether they can ping a server, whether their server is reachable or not from a client. Um, and they want to reach that server, say it's a web server. And say it's on the outside and the client's on the inside. The client, you know, typically if you don't have a person at that client computer to make the connection through the box, then the network administrator sitting on that ASA, all they have is ICMP ping at their disposal. You know, is the destination server reachable? They can't really tell if the service is up and operational, and more specifically, they can't tell whether their NAT rule, which the client could be hitting, is actually working and working properly, or whether, you know, it could be that IP or that port could be getting blocked somewhere. So with TCPing, what it allows you to do is it allows you to specify the client's IP address and say the inside interface, and it will send a TCP packet through the ASA as if the client sent it. So it ingresses the inside interface, all the NAT rules and ACL rules apply to the packet, leaves the outside interface, goes to the server. If the server you know, receives that send packet and responds with a SYNAC, it'll come back to the ASA, um, match against the connection, get unnatted, and then get sent to the egress inside interface where we pull it off and we say, okay, we've received the response back. But the clear thing in that case is, you know, any NAT rules or any security rules, you know, work. Now, when we talk about crypto, 
Um, also for crypto, you typically can't initiate a ping directly from the box to the remote end and bring up the tunnel because where you initiate the ping from is usually the egress interface. And to bring up the tunnel, it really needs to be injected on the inside interface. So with TCP ping, since it is injected on the ingress interface and passes through the box or through the ASA, uh, TCP ping will allow that tunnel to be built and established. And uh, in addition to uh, the TCP ping option that Dave brought up, uh, on both you know iOS and the ASA, you can also bring it up with just standard ping. Um, for example, on the ASA, you need to specify the inside interface, for example, uh, when executing that ping command so that it sources it from there and begins to bring up the tunnel. Uh, and on the iOS platforms, if you just type ping, it'll walk you through the extended options where you can then specify source interfaces, etc. Yes, you have to iOS you have to use the extended commands to specify the source interface. And on the ASA, you have to do ping space inside space exactly. IPFS, which doesn't make sense because most people, you, it's it's saying you know what the, what the egress interface is, but basically it routes it over to that inside interface, which then says, oh, this needs to be encrypted and send it across the tunnel. So it's counterintuitive. Um, and a lot of people I don't think know about it on the ASA, but ping inside will cause a packet to go across the tunnel on the outside interface. Very cool tool. Uh, and also on a related topic, uh, a lot of times, you know, when we configure IPsec VPNs, IPsec really doesn't care about the actual protocol running inside of IP, whether that's ICMP, TCP, or UDP. Uh, most of the security policies, you know, they're defined as IP flow only. Uh, but we do see problems that manifest themselves, you know, in a particular protocol. So one of the things that we often, um, you know, look at is what's unique about a specific protocol that may have unique IP characteristics. Uh, say, for example, when we talk about TCP, uh, a problem that happens only with TCP, but not, say, for example, ICMP. The the one thing that's unique is that with TCP, uh, there is this thing called the short packets. You know, the, the initial TCP handshake is done with small packets that may require Ethernet padding, and we have seen issues, you know, uh, with, you know, that sort of a symptom because these packets, you know, they have a unique characteristic, uh, IP unique uh, characteristic. So another tool that you can use uh, in order to test your crypto maps and see what crypto map a particular uh, flow would actually hit is the packet tracer. And we normally use packet tracer to test our security policies, see what security policies a particular flow would uh, would hit. Um, but in this case, we can use it to test our crypto maps on VPN. And another uh, side effect is that you can actually bring the tunnel up with packet tracer. So if you forward a virtual packet through the ASA and it's meant to match a particular crypto map, that'll actually bring the tunnel up. So uh, another thing that I know I've seen a couple of cases uh, pop up on is ACL mismatch. Now, part of setting up your land to land tunnels, you have to define, obviously, what interesting traffic you want to encrypt and send across the tunnel. Now, when you define your two peers in your uh, land to land tunnel, the interesting traffic ACL basically has to be a mirror of the peer for it to really work correctly. And during the actual initiation and setup of these tunnels, each entry in that ACL, each line is going to become its own SA. And it has to have a corresponding reverse of that ACL entry on that peer. Otherwise, you won't obviously negotiate it correctly. Uh, that's exactly right, Magnus. Um, now, Obviously, like you said, uh, those ACLs between the peers, you know, they do have to match. Uh, mm -hmm. They do have to match exactly. With one exception, uh, with IPsec being a security protocol, 
when it comes to security policy negotiation, uh, there is a scenario where if the policies don't match exactly, but if one side of the ACE, you know, that would be a entry in the ACL, you know, a permit IP network X to network Y entry, uh, if that entry on the responder side is more strict than what's being proposed by the initiator, then we will uh, negotiate on the stricter policy. I, I, I guess a, a good way to kind of phrase that, if we were to do a brief example, let's say I'm one side of a land land, you're the other, and I've got an ACL that says from subnet X to Y, but you have an ACL that says from a host in Y to a host in X, a subset of what my ACL would be, right? Then the smaller subset will be ultimately negotiated. Mm -hmm. But the problem there is, obviously, if you look at this, uh, the policy is based on the responder's preference. So you're not going to be able to initiate the tunnel bidirectionally. You know, you're only going to be do, uh, be able to do this, uh, you know, from one direction, but for, not vice versa. For and, example, if I were the one that was initiating the tunnel, I would say, hey, do you have a uh, entry that will allow from subnet X to subnet Y? And you're saying no. But if you say the reverse, a host Y to host X, specifically host, not subnets, I'm going to say, yeah, that matches one of my entries. I'll allow it. That's absolutely correct. But uh, in the end, you know, this is something that we typically don't you, do. You want to have matching uh, you know, for the, Yeah, <laughs> for the problems that, you know, we were just talking about. But one, one thing that we do see that's fairly common is when you've got multiple land-to-land -land tunnels turning on the same head end, that, you know, sometimes on the head end, the user will put a more generic or a larger range ACL, like, say, the 10 Class A network, and the peers have more specific 10 Class C networks. Um, you know, that, this is just a general example, but it occurs such that you end up with mismatched and unidirectional tunnels because one of the one of the endpoints is actually matching a different SA association or a different uh, negotiation of the, the ACEs, and therefore we end up with unidirectional encryption in, in the two different directions. So again, we we're talking about the show crypto IPsec SA output, and one of the things that we mentioned you're gonna see there are in-caps and decaps, uh, or encrypts and decrypts. And you know, let's say you're testing your traffic, it's not working, and you locate which out, you know, which instance or which SA on that list should match your traffic, but you're not seeing encapsulations. Well, one thing that could be happening, depending on how many tunnels or what tunnels you have present on this box, is the traffic may be encrypted and sent to the wrong peer. It could be because of a uh, incorrectly configured crypto ACL um, or some overlap between different crypto ACLs. So what you would want to do is always make sure that the ACLs you're using to identify interesting traffic are as specific as you can possibly be for those subnets. You know, don't use, uh, you know, big sweeping slash eight networks unless that's actually legitimately the traffic you want to go over that tunnel. Um, because it all depends on what tunnel is initiated and when. There may, it may end up going over to the wrong peer or may just simply never match what you're intending for it to. So earlier Wen talked about uh, the problem of small packets and Ethernet padding to get that packet up to the right size. What are some other issues like uh, packet size and fragmentation and how that comes into play? Um, the fragmentation is indeed one of the biggest issues with IPsec. Obviously, with tunnel overhead, we're talking anywhere between, uh, it could be anywhere between 40 and 70 bytes. Uh, the packet is going to get bigger. Now, if you are uh, getting close to the interface uh, MTU threshold, uh, potential fragmentation can happen. Things can get a little bit complicated depending on the DF bit settings. But if we're talking about um, 
uh, IPsec fragmentation and MTU tuning best practices, you know, there's really only a couple things that we need to remember. One is depending on if we're running IPsec tunnel mode or transport mode, uh, the IPsec overhead, you know, can vary uh, anywhere between 40 and uh, 70, uh, 80 bytes. Uh, make sure you factor in those overhead, you know, when you do the IP MTU calculation. Uh, one common best practice, you know, to uh, to mitigate the potential fragmentation problem is to adjust the TCP MSS. So for a large percentage of the applications on the internet, you know, these are all TCP, and TCP have a way of negotiating the MSS, which means the maximum segment size between um, a, a pair of TCP end hosts. So by doing TCP adjust MSS, which is available on both the ASA and iOS routers, we tell the end host not to send packet over a certain size. Um, and uh, one guideline of tuning these MSS value is, uh, I think you know for most deployment scenarios, a 1400 bytes of IPMTU would be sufficient uh, to subtract 40 bytes of IP and TCP header overhead from that 1400 bytes will yield a 1360 bytes of TCP MSS. So that's a, a best practice that we can leverage uh, to make sure you know all the packets that come into the tunnel they do not exceed the MTU threshold on the interface. And on the ASA, you know it's on by default whether you have a tunnel on or not. So if you've ever gone to your ASA and run show run sysopt and seen that command in there that's throttling the MSS down. Um, that's why it's there. It's for IPsec tunnels. So again, the point of this is to make sure that the end hosts don't send packets that are that are too large. Basically, we don't want the packet to be over 1500 or over the MTU threshold after we've encapsulated them. So the MSS does a good job of just keeping those packet sizes down so that we never actually get into a situation where fragmentation is needed. Now, naturally, uh, we're talking about TCP applications. Your question would uh, come up, what if it's not TCP? What if it's UDP or uh, raw IP protocols? What do we do there? Uh, since there is really no the concept of MSS you know, with these applications, uh, what we can do is, depending on if PathMTU discovery is working end-to-end, -end, we can choose to ignore the DF bit uh, the DF bit being the do not fragment bit in the IP header. Uh, that would force the packet to be fragmented. And typically on iOS and ASA, we perform fragmentation before IPsec encapsulation. Uh, that way we ensure that there is no reassembly overhead incurred on the receiver of these fragments. Uh, so that's, one, that's also one uh, alternative to deal with fragmentation issues if uh, there is a DF bit set in the incoming data packet. And so what are the commands and wh what are they set by default on iOS? Uh, in iOS, we don't uh, clear the DF bit by default. So what happens is if there is a large packet coming in with a DF bit set, then the router would uh, perform path him to discovery by sending back a ICMP type 3 code 4 message. And that would be packet too big, uh, but DF bit set. So, so we try to hint the end device, what is the IP path MTU that we can handle? Unfortunately, uh, 
you know, this mechanism is not all that reliable. This ICMP packet may not make it to the end host. The end host may not honor the PathMTU discovery packet. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you may end up having to clear the DF bit. And the command for doing that would be crypto IPsec DF bit clear. And a lot of these same principles, you know, when was talking about um, iOS, and a lot of the same principles come into play with the ASA. We have that same control over um, over when the encryption happens and what to do with the DF bit on the ASA. The the ASA also by default copies the DF bit, and you can just like when said use the pretty much same command. It's crypto IPsec clear DF bit. All right, guys. So we've talked about a lot of different checkpoints, a lot of different commands you should run, a lot of different things you should check for, and common problems. But let's wrap it all up with um, talking about the top five troubleshooting commands that we use when we are uh, troubleshooting uh, IPsec land land tunnels not coming up. Blaine, go. Yeah, so two that we've uh, talked about extensively are show crypto ICCMP SA and show crypto IPsec SA, and that'll help uh, tell you whether the control channel and the data passing channel are up and running. Um, another one that we like to use is uh, show run pipe include crypto or show run crypto on the ASA. And on the uh, iOS, you run show run pipe section crypto, and that'll just show you the crypto section uh, of the configuration. Uh, another two, uh, first off, ping. Pings are great. You can uh, initiate tunnels and kick them up using uh, you know the extended ping options either on the ASA or on iOS. Or ping TCP on or the ASA. Or ping TCP, yep. Uh, another great option here is packet tracer. It'll, again, walk you through all the different processes that happen to a simulated packet, including additional information about what's going on on the crypto side, you know, what ACLs you're going to hit, what interesting traffic ACLs, what tunnels you might take, uh, and all that can help you really identify what's broken. Okay, and next up, we've got some debugs. So, uh, Jane, let me ask you, what are some debugs that someone might consider running? What level should they run them at? That sort of thing. So the... Debugs on the ASA have uh, a few different levels, um, each of them a little more verbose than the rest. Um, obviously, unless you're tr troubleshooting something seriously wrong deep down inside one of the Isocamper handshakes, uh, you don't need the highest level. So generally, we just recommend that you turn debug crypto Isocamp and debug crypto IPsec on to level 128. And you can specify the peer. So if you know your remote peer that you're connect you're having trouble with, just specify the peer, and you won't overwhelm your router or ASA with debugs for uh, info you don't care about. Yeah, that command is debug crypto condition peer, and then that that just limits only the debugs to run with this peer that we're negotiating with. And uh, just want to add actually one technique that I've used in the past. Uh, it's really tricky, obviously, to troubleshoot connectivity issues over VPN because one side of what you're looking at is encrypted. Here on the firewall team, we love captures because we love to be able to see exactly what packets are on either side. And unfortunately, our eyes are closed and one side of this firewall, right? One side's going to be completely encrypted and encapsulated. The packets are illegible to us. So uh, there's a neat little trick that I learned that uh, somebody once taught me, and it's this concept of null encryption. So what you're actually able to do is, you know, set up, leave your tunnels more or less the way they are, but as opposed to encrypting the flows, all you're going to do is encapsulate it so you can actually see what's internal to those packets and be able to correlate traffic that's on the inside to post-encapsulated traffic on the outside. Um, when, how exactly do we kind of set that up? Um, to set up no encryption, what you uh, need to do is to configure a IPsec transform set uh, that's ESP-null as opposed to ESP-DES or triple-DES or AES. 
So what you're telling it to do is basically not to use a symmetric encryption algorithm, you know, to encrypt a packet. Uh, that's how you end up with a ESP encapsulated packet. Yet, you know, what's inside of the payload will be in the clear. That way, you can take you, your capture and correlate uh, that packet with the data packet that you can capture on the inside using whatever technique that you normally use: IP identification numbers, TCP sequence number, ACK numbers, whatnot. Uh, the difficulty with no encryption sometimes is that uh, you know customer may not be able to afford to turn off this uh, security feature. Obviously, you know yeah. by doing no encryption, you are you know kind of defeating the purpose of deploying IPsec. Um, so another alternative, you know, to uh, doing no encryption would be to color the packet to color the incoming data stream packet that's in question. So if there is a flow that's not working and you'd like to take a capture on both the inside as well as on the WAN side where you know you would normally see the encrypted packet, you can set the DSCP or the presence bits in the data packet. Uh, and there are multiple ways you can do that. You can do that with uh, PBR, uh, policy-based routing. You can do that with a MQC policy. Uh, once that uh, byte or the bits in that toss byte is set, you know, to a unique value, that value will be carried over to the encapsulating header. Uh, for as long as this DSCP bit uh, value is unique in a network, then you can pretty much trace the packet even though you have no visibility into what exactly is inside of that packet uh, on the on the encryption encrypted side. All right, well, that does it for this episode. I want to thank Jay Young-Taylor and Wen Zhang, our VPN experts here in the TAC, for um, giving us some of their knowledge here. And we can't cover everything, obviously, but we wanted to give you guys the tools and techniques and just that troubleshooting mindset that we use in the TAC to uh, get those VPN tunnels up when they go down or when they won't come up. So thanks for listening. Again, you can reach out to us at securityshow at cisco.com. We'd love to hear your feedback about the show and understand what kind of episodes you want us to do. Also, you can go to our website at www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast to download other episodes, review the show notes. And you can also call us at 1 for the area code. You know, it's not going to be plus 44. Um, <laughs> it's a country code. Country code 1. Area code 424-272-6877. And you don't have to dial it that slow. You can actually punch it into your <laughs> phone a lot faster if you want. But uh, that'll be our, that's our Google voicemail. You can leave this a voicemail. Uh, give us a question you want us to read out on the show if you'd like, and then we'll discuss and try to answer it for you. All right, thanks, and we'll see you next time.